Revelation chapter 22. Uh, the river of life. Uh, what an amazing moment. What an amazing time this is. God gives us a glimpse forward and he has us look at what it is that we're headed towards. And uh, this message next week, uh, we're going to wrap Revelation up, which is really hard to believe. Um, I hope God's used this in your life to remind you afresh the fact that God is sovereign and that we're headed to a place that is amazing, right? Where sin has no hold. And I also hope that God's used it in your life in order to cultivate and deepen your walk with him, uh, but also give you his compassion towards the lost. There's a lot of people that are uh, without hope. They have no purpose. Their families have been absolutely destroyed in so many different ways. That there's just on and on and on. We could go through the list. They need Christ, just like we need Christ. We, they need the Lord. They need salvation in Christ, which is by grace through faith alone. And, and my prayer is that in the midst of this study of Revelation, we're not just looking at what we get out of, but rather what some may end up going through and how could God use us in order to bring the gospel of the good news of God's grace to each and every person around us as the Lord leads, as he empowers. The question is, are we willing? Are we willing? Well, three things this morning as we look at this. First of all, God's restoration completed Oh, I don't know about you, but aren't you grateful for the truth that God is going to restore all things? All things will be made new. What a beautiful truth that is. God's return is assured. There's a moment in this passage where he continuously, constantly makes it clear that he's returning soon, quickly. We need to be ready. And God's reward is promised. It's promised. We need to be ready, folks, as the Lord promises to come quickly and restore all things. Are we ready for that? Are we ready for that? Today, can we say, I'm ready if the Lord were to come back? What are we hanging on to that's really non-essential? It's not an even important. It's not even going to be a discussion point in heaven. <laughs> I can guarantee it won't be a discussion point in heaven. What are we hanging on to of this world or whether it's in our own selves, whatever it may be, that we need to let go of and simply give it to the Lord and walk with him in the midst of because the Lord promises to come quickly and restore all things. So first, God's restoration completed. Look at verses one through five in Revelation 22. There's first of all the discussion about the river of life. He says, then he showed me a river of the water of life, this river of life, clear as crystal coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb in the middle of its street. In the new heaven and new earth, the river of life is said to be flowing from or out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. And evidently there's a street there that it flows directly down the middle of, and evidently it nourishes the tree of life which is on either side of the river. This is a great picture. Is this literal? I believe it's literal. But I think the figurative meaning is also important, and that is the holiness and the purity of God. All things are flowing from his throne. Where does holiness begin? It begins with God. Where does purity begin? It begins with God. 
And there's a very clear and very real picture given to the people of God for all eternity. Their holiness and purity and goodness and all that God is. The nourishing ability of God, the healing ability of God flows from him. The second thing we see is the tree of life. He says, on either side of the river was the tree of life bearing 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Now, I know we don't go to the Old Testament a whole lot, but if you look at Genesis chapter 3 and you look at verses 22 through 24, we get a picture of the tree of life. And it's really fascinating to me the way that the Lord has orchestrated it because all the way back in the very beginning when God created all things good and there was the Garden of Eden, the tree of life was in that garden. And now at the very end in the new heaven and the new earth as we begin a new journey, there is also the tree of life. God has brought it full circle. In Genesis chapter 3 verses 22 and following says this, the Lord God said, behold, the man has become like one of us knowing good and evil, and now he might stretch out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to cultivate the garden or the ground from which he was taken. So he drove the man out and at the east of the garden of Eden, he stationed the cherubim and the flaming sword, which turned every direction to guard the way to the tree of life. The tree of life was in the garden of Eden. And it's very interesting that after Adam chose to eat of the fruit that he was told not to, that the Lord literally took them out of, drove them out of the garden specifically so that they would not eat of the tree of life and therefore eternally stay permanently in their sinful state. The tree is said to bear 12 kinds of of fruit every month. And this may be, or it indicates that it could be, 12 different crops. Maybe it's not just one fruit, it may be 12 different crops. We don't know. But it is said that the leaves are for the healing of the nations. And that's an interesting moment, isn't it? I mean, we're in heaven, right? The curse has been lifted, which we're gonna look at in just a moment. There's no impure thing. All things are made new and everything is holy. Sin has been completely destroyed. The sin nature is absolutely gone. We have been glorified and we will be in that glorified state for eternity. And yet there's still a sense of healing. Well, the word healing actually means therapeutic. It can mean health, nourishment, And in my mind, there is a sense of dependency upon God that is being pictured here. That even though all things have been made new, and even though all things in terms of sin have been dealt with and taken care of, there is a picture given to the people of God in the midst of heaven, even though we've been glorified, and even though all things are perfect and sin never has a hold on us at all whatsoever, there's still a picture given here of our dependence as created beings upon God. And it says that the leaves bring healing or health, nourishment to the nations. In Revelation 2.7, a promise is given to the churches. He who is an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. What a beautiful 
promise for each and every one of us. As we follow the Lord and we walk with him, that there is something we're headed towards that we need to be ready for because heaven is going to be a real place. The millennium is going to take place. And then after that, the new heaven and the new earth, we're going to have glorified bodies. We'll be with God forever. And in the midst of it, we begin to recognize what an absolutely amazing promise, a certainty that that truly is. Warren Wiersbe says this about this particular passage. He says, in Revelation 22, verses 1 through 5, we move inside the city to discover that it is like a beautiful garden, reminiscent of the Garden of Eden. There's only one river in the heavenly city, but this river will flow directly from God's throne, the very source of all purity. Man was prohibited from eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and prevented from eating of the tree of life. But in the eternal home, man will have access to the tree of life. The river and the tree symbolize abundant life in the glorious city. What an amazing truth. He immediately follows that with the fact that there's no more curse. In verse 3, he says, There will no longer be any curse, and the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his bondservants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. The word no longer means absolutely under no circumstance will there be any curse. Isn't that a beautiful promise? Curse is what we're talking about in Genesis 3 when Adam sinned and all of creation was placed under the curse. You begin to think of the impact of that in your own personal life. You begin to think about that in the impact of this world. We see it everywhere. Death follows sin, the destruction, the horror, all the different things that are evil, that have permeated every fabric of our existence. That curse is lifted. Paul tells us in Romans that even creation groans, longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Even creation groans because creation itself has been placed under the curse. No longer any curse. He says the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it. His bondservants will serve him. Bondservants are those who willingly choose to follow the Lord and walk with him. And he gives us a picture here of not only that there's not going to be any curse any longer, but that the throne of God and the Lamb of God will be in the city. And his bondservants will serve him. We will be serving the Lord faithfully, walking with him in a glorified state where sin will not be a part of that fabric any longer. That relationship with God will be absolutely perfect and pristine. It'll be pure. There will be no contradicting motives. There, there's nothing that would interfere at all whatsoever in our relationship with the Lord. What a beautiful truth that is. He says we will serve him. We will see his face, meaning we will have close proximity to him. And we will also have his name on our foreheads, indicating uh, that we belong to him, that we are close to him. You know, so many people are looking for identity today. They're looking for identity. They look for identity in all kinds of different things. You can go through that uh, <laughs> trash can all day long. Our identity is in the Lord Jesus Christ. Our identity is in him. Our identity 
is in what he has declared of us. When we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, then the promise that comes with that is that we shall be saved. And that means that we're his children, that we're citizens of heaven, that he now comes to live within us and indwell us. What a beautiful truth. We're going to be close to him. We'll serve him. We'll see his face. We'll also have his name on our foreheads, indicating that we belong to him. The lamb will continue to rule. And even though he's given all authority to the father, there's an indication there that the lamb is continuing to rule, the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 24, he says, then comes the end when he hands over the kingdom to the, to the God and father, when he has abolished all rule and all authority and power. See, all things have been given to the son and one day the son is gonna give all things to the father. But here we have in Revelation, a picture of the fact that the lamb's throne will be in the city and that he will rule and reign in the midst of the new heaven and the new earth. And what a beautiful that truth that is. Well, they also see the light of Christ in verse 5. We were discussing this last week, and here we're reminded of it. There will no longer be any night. They will not have need of the light of a lamp, nor the light of the sun, because the Lord God will illumine them, and they will reign forever and ever. And again, we're told that there will no longer be any night nor is there the need for a lamp or the sun as the light will come from the Lord himself. He will illumine the city and the city is pictured as this amazing gem that lights the entire created order, the new earth. What an incredible moment that really is. You know, we get pictures of the Lord and the light that emanates from him. We saw it at the transfiguration when he's up on the Mount of Transfiguration and he transfigures between before uh, Peter, James, and John and Moses and Elijah come and they're next to him. And it's said very clearly that the light started with him and then began to emanate through his clothing. In other words, it wasn't a spotlight on him. It was light coming from him. And we know that the word of God says that he is the light that there's no darkness in him at all whatsoever. There's not even the hint of a shadow in God. He's that pure. He's that good. He's that holy. He will illumine all. You don't need a light. You don't need a lamp. There's no need for the sun because the Lord himself will illumine all things. What an incredible truth. So not only is there a restoration completed where God brings things full circle from the garden and what he originally created this earth to be. But now, through all the ages, he has brought about his purposes and he has accomplished them. And now we see this new earth. We see the tree of life. We see the river of life. We see him ruling and reigning. We are there in close proximity to him. There's also a reminder that God's return is assured. Look at verse six. Three different things that he says in verses six through 11 indicate to us again how essential it is that we are prepared and ready for his return. The first thing, the word soon is used. In verse six, he said to me, these words are faithful and true and the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, sent his angel to show to his bondservants the things which must soon take place. Place, the things which must soon take place. Unequivocal, absolute, 
All that we've looked at in Revelation, we may not understand all the detail of it. We may not understand the chronology of it, the time frames of it. But we know that it is absolutely certain that these things will take place and that they will take place, how? Soon, soon. The angel assures John that what has been shared with him is faithful And true, it means trustworthy, able to be trusted. It is God's word through the angel to John, to the bondservants, to the churches, that these things will take place. There's an indicator there. Be ready. Be ready. Don't get caught off guard. Be ready. The Lord himself is the one who sent the angel The Lord is the God of the spirits of the prophets. In other words, the Lord is the one who's given these messages to the prophets as well as obviously through the angel to the apostle John. So much of Revelation is from the Old Testament as well as obviously the new revelation to John which has so much of the language used from the Old Testament whether it be Daniel, etc. These things are going to happen and they're going to happen soon. God's return is assured. In verse 7, he uses the word quickly. And behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who heeds the words of the prophecy of this book. It's interesting because now it's no longer the angel, in effect, speaking for the Lord. It is the Lord himself saying this, I am coming quickly. The source of information shifts to the Lord. That word quickly uh, literally means speedily. Speedily. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes we tend to look at life and we tend to look at the things of life and we don't necessarily think uh, of speed. (laughs) Do we? A thousand years doesn't seem speedy. Two thousand years certainly doesn't seem to be that way. But we know that in God's time and in the way that the God and the Lord functions, a thousand years is a day, and a day is a thousand years. He created time, it's before him. These things will come to pass. And I think the indication here is as well that it may come to pass faster than what we expected. So be ready, be ready. He promises a blessing to those who heed the words of the prophecy. And that word heed literally means to guard, to observe carefully, to keep, or in other words, to obey. Submit yourself to the Lord. Place yourself in his care. Follow him. Walk with him. How do we walk with him? By faith. Faith comes by hearing. Hearing is what? By the word of Christ. We get into the word of God. We begin to have our minds transformed and renewed. We begin to have our lives impacted through the Holy Spirit who is at work within us to transform us and conform us to his image. And as we say yes to him and walk with him day by day, moment by moment, he begins to change us. He begins to metamorphosize us. He's coming and he's coming quickly And there's a blessing to those who heed, who guard, who obey the words of the prophecy of this book. And in verse 8 through 10, he also uses the idea of near. He says, I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. I love that because John the Apostle is affirming that this is actual, this is literal. He says, when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed me these things. But he said to me, the angel said to him, do not do that. I'm a fellow servant of yours and of your brethren, the prophets, and of those who heed the words of this book. 
worship God. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is what? Is near. Boy, what an amazing picture this really is, isn't it? Here's the apostle John, probably in his 90s. He's been exiled for the faith. He's been given this unbelievable vision, carried by the Spirit, in the Spirit, to see these different things. And he's so overwhelmed by what is given to him at this particular point that he literally gets confused and he begins to fall down and worship the angel. And I love the angel's response. For all those of people out there who like to worship angels, I want to tell you something. True angels tell you, don't do that. Worship the lamb. Worship God. He alone is worthy of it. He alone is the one who deserves our worship, our allegiance, our love. He said to him, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. What an amazing truth. Why is this given? It's given for the bondservants. It's given for the churches. It's given for the people who love God to listen and hear. It's given to encourage those people who are going through unbelievable persecution, that God is just and that he's righteous, that he is the judge and he will bring all things to an end. He will restore. He will regenerate. And that time is closer than perhaps we even think, certainly within the circumstances that we walk through. Understand, be ready because the Lord will come again. And there's a blessing for those who walk with him, who guard, who say yes to him in the midst of life. It's interesting because verse 11 is an interesting verse. I don't know if you've read this lately, but the first time I read this, I was thinking, now what in the world does this mean, right? Let the one who does wrong still do wrong. And the one who's filthy still be filthy. And let the one who's righteous still practice righteousness. And the one who is holy still keep himself holy. That seems to be a bit of an odd statement, doesn't it? If you're doing bad things, keep on going. (laughs) What? Well, in the context, what he's saying is I'm coming again and I'm coming soon. And the idea understood correctly It's simply indicating the permanence of the decisions that are being made by individuals over and over again. Those who do unrighteousness and or are filthy will be established in the decisions that they have made and are making. Those who do or practice righteousness or holiness will be established in the decisions that they have made and or are making. Clearly from scripture, we know that if you're doing wrong, the Lord's encouragement to you is don't keep on, keep on doing it. That's not what the Lord would say. The Lord would say, repent. But in the context of what he's saying is that people are making decisions. And as they're making those decisions, whether it's in unholiness or unrighteousness or filth, which is the word that's used, or whether it's in purity and in God's way and in God's direction, either way, people are making decisions And they will be established in those decisions. Be ready. Because the time of the Lord is near. Does that mean that there's no hope? Does that mean that if you have blown it or if you've tripped or if you've stumbled, that there's no way out of it? No, no, no. That's not at all what he's saying here. Repent. Change your mind with regard to the activity that's taking place in your life that is not according to God's word or according to God's will. 
Receive the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe in him if you haven't already. And understand that with that is still the promise that you will be saved. But the issue is, what are the decisions that you're making? What is the path that you're choosing? Do you understand the ramifications for those paths? Do you understand what it means to walk in that? Because if you continue to choose to resist God and absolutely refuse to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, then you will be established in the path that you have chosen. Just as for a believer... If you are faithful to guard, to keep, to obey God's word and to walk with him, understanding that he will come soon, quickly, that he's near, then you will be established in that path as well. I like how the Bible Knowledge Commentary says this. The point here is not to condone what is evil, but to point out that if people do not heed this prophecy, they will continue in their wickedness. On the other hand, those who do heed the prophecy will continue to do what is right. It's a great way of saying it. Are we heeding the warning of God in the midst of this? And are we choosing to yield to say yes to him in what it is that he has for us? Well, thirdly, God's reward is promised. God's reward is promised. In verses 12 through 15, we're told this, that rewards will be given. In verse 12, he says, Behold, I'm coming quickly, and my reward is with me to render to every man according to what he has done. This is interesting because it's a direct result of the previous statements in verse 11. The Lord reminds the hearers that he's coming quickly and that his reward is with them. He will render to each individual according to what he has done. And I would suggest that in the context of Revelation 20 through right now, 22, that clearly there's at least two uh, judgments that are in view. First of all, there's the Bema Seat of Christ for the believers, which is out of 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And secondly, there's the great white throne judgment for unbelievers, which is in Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 and following. It's not an issue of, oh, I did these things, so I earned heaven. Or I didn't do these things, so I didn't earn heaven. The issue for the believer is that salvation is by grace through faith in Christ alone. That's a done deal. Now the question is, as a believer, how are we walking with him faithfully? And the Lord wants to reward us for yielding to him, for submitting to him, for the work that he's able to do in us and then through us. For the unbeliever who's rejected Christ, their fate is sealed. Their name is not written in the Lamb's book of life. But the books will be opened And the level of punishment they receive will be based on their wicked and evil deeds here on this earth. Rewards, judgments are rendered. Well, as authority is revealed in verse 13, and I love this verse, I am the Alpha and the Omega. See, you know Greek and you didn't even know it. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. That's just three ways of saying the same thing. I'm the one in control of everything. I'm the one in control of everything. There's nothing that has escaped my ability. There's nothing that's not under my authority. All things are under 
me because I'm the Alpha and the Omega. That's the first letter and the last letter of the Greek. I am the first and the last. I am the beginning and the end. Folks, do we understand how sovereign God is? Do we trust that? Do we walk with the Lord in that? Do we recognize that? Do we understand as believers that all things that take place in our lives have been filtered through our loving Father's hands first and foremost? And as a result, we can trust him because he has a plan. He has our best in mind, even when we don't understand it. Because he has heaven in mind. He has an eternal work and an eternal purpose in our lives that he's working on constantly, all the time, without fail. Everything. It's amazing when you really begin to think about it. He's in control of creation. He's certainly in control of all of history. He's certainly in control of bringing it to pass in the new age. There's nothing that he is not sovereign over. Absolutely not one thing. 14, he says, Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter by the gates into the city. And he says, outside are the dogs and the sorcerers and the immoral persons and the murderers and the idolaters and everyone who loves and practices lying. Within the context, clearly, verse 15, these individuals have been thrown into the lake of fire. And so the indication is that the outside referred to here is not simply outside the walls of the city, but actually in the lake of fire. I think that's clear from the context. Verse 14, he gives a blessing Blessed are those who do what? Who wash their robes so they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter by the gates into the city. In effect, what he's doing is he's giving us two pictures of two different people. Some people would disagree. Some people would say that verse 14 is referring to those faithful believers. And I can see a case being made for that. In other words, it's not necessarily all believers because not all believers have walked with the Lord faithfully. But I think from the dichotomy of the passage itself, from the clear description of the two different groups here, that what he's talking about is all believers and all unbelievers. And the first thing he says, I believe to all believers, is the fact that they have been saved. They've washed their robes. How did that happen? How are our garments made clear? How is it that we have come to know Christ? How is it that we're even able to be in this moment? And it is because of the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ whose blood purifies us and cleanses us. When does that happen? When we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? We have that opportunity and that privilege to walk with the Lord. Blessed are those who wash their robes so they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter by the gates into the city. In other words, if your name is written in the Lamb's book of life, if your robe has been washed, if you've been walking with the Lord because of salvation in Christ, then guess what? You're blessed. And there's coming a day where you will have the right to the tree of life. You also walk into the city by the gates. What an amazing truth, folks. Conversely, those who have refused to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ who've refused to be cleansed by the blood of the Lamb, to be made new again, are outside. And in this context, I believe he's talking about the lake of fire, spending an eternity, an eternity, separated from God in everlasting suffering, something that we can't even begin to imagine. Wiersbe says this, no wonder John added, blessed are they that do his commandments. 
If we really believe that Jesus is coming soon, what are we going to do? We will watch and be faithful. Wow. We will watch and be faithful. Folks, I don't know all that you've gotten out of this study of Revelation, but I want to tell you something. It's caused me to look up in a way that I've never looked up. It's caused me to look around in a way that I've never looked around. It's caused me to look inwardly in a way that I don't know that I've ever looked inwardly. There is coming a day where we will stand before the Lord Jesus Christ himself, and I thank God that the Bema seat doesn't need to be a fearful moment. It can be an absolute blessing. Because everything that I've ever done in my life that is not of God will be destroyed. Anything and everything that I've yielded to the Lord Jesus Christ and trusted him with will be revealed as to have been from him and it'll be, remain permanently and I will be rewarded in that. And that's an amazing thought. I don't even know how fully to wrap my mind around that. How are we walking with the Lord day by day, moment by moment, yielded to Christ, simply submitting to him, learning to die to self, learning to say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. What an amazing truth. How are we walking with him? Watching carefully, knowing that the time is coming quickly, soon. Maybe sooner than we think. How are we walking with the Lord in faithfulness? And what is God doing in our lives to draw us closer to himself? How are we trusting in his sovereignty and his goodness and in his holiness? How do we trust him in the midst of our lives? That everything taking place has been filtered through his hands. And he has our best in mind all the time, all the time, without fail.